Ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce to you Mrs. Lyndon B. Johnson. Sit down, everybody. <laughs> Sit down. <laughs> welcome, friends. It gives me great pleasure to welcome you here to meet Betty Ford. I like to see the LBJ Library being used for causes that are matters of concern to us all. Uh, I know it would have made Lyndon happy. I've known Betty and her husband Jerry, Lyndon and I did, from, uh, from early 1949 when they came to Congress. We became friends and were in a club together and saw quite a lot of each other through those Washington years. And don't imagine, y'all, that there's a, a, a hostile gap between people who are Democrats and people who are Republicans. <laughs> but, In a way, we were all workers in the same vineyard for what we hoped was the good of our country. And, and so I have shared many things with Betty and have great respect and affection and admiration for her because she's a woman of courage and because she's willing to work for those things that life has taught her need working on. So uh, it's just a joy to have Betty here with me in the LBJ Library, and here she is. Thank you, Mrs. Johnson. You'll hear in just a moment from Mrs. Ford. In the meantime, may I uh, welcome you on behalf of the Austin Council on Alcoholism to this uh, this happy get-together. My name is Dan Love. I, I serve at the pleasure of this board as president of the Austin Council, which is made up of citizens throughout our Central Texas community. There are 30 of us who serve as board members. Uh, it's a good cross-section of our community, and the executive committee of that board uh, sits on the stage with me here today, and I'd like for you to meet them very briefly, if I may. Dr. Stuart Bogner, Judge Harriet Murphy, Garland Scherer, Dr. Ted Dake, and Jim Donahue. They are executive committee. At the same time, I'd like to recognize Dr. Shirley Skaggs, who sits with us. Uh, Shirley, would you stand, please? Uh, Dr. Skaggs is director of the Renaissance Program at Shoal Creek Hospital, and uh, Shoal Creek uh, hosted a coffee and a punch just prior to this meeting today for Mrs. Ford and Mrs. Johnson and members of our board. Uh, thank you very much, Shirley, for being with us today. Back last fall, I suppose it was in September or perhaps in October, the Austin Council was making every effort to make its plans for 1980 and establishing our annual meeting, which uh, involves the uh, presentation of, of honors and so forth. And we, we had ambitious plans to, uh, to select an outstanding speaker uh, in as much as we had set a precedent in the preceding year when Congressman Wilbur Mills uh, was in Austin. 
Well, it uh, it occurred to uh, to one of our board members that uh, the ideal person to appear for the council uh, in February would be Betty Ford, and that ambition seemed to be completely out of sight and out of reach. However. Through the efforts of one of our board people in particular, and through many telephone calls and a lot of communication, and a lot of asking, and a lot of giving, and a lot of taking, uh, we were able to secure as our special guest speaker in February, Mrs. Ford. Unfortunately, on the day of, uh, of that program, some of you who were there remember that she was unable to be with us because uh, she was stricken with the flu just a couple of days before our annual luncheon. She promised us that uh, if we had luncheon, uh, she had still come and, and visit us uh, in the form of a reception. Uh, we so advised you of that, and uh, today is the culmination of all of those plans, which were set aside just briefly back in February, but which uh, have materialized on this day. The lady who persevered and kept it going and kept our chins up on this end uh, is the lady who will introduce our very special guest, and I want you to give a very, very warm welcome to a member of our board of directors on the Austin Council and a dear, dear lady, Mary Love Bailey. This is a culmination today of um, one of the most fun quests that I've ever undertaken. This really started about a year ago in April, and it seemed so completely out of reach that we really didn't think it would ever happen. But uh, through uh, the friendship of our own beloved First Lady, Lady Bird, uh, and working with her, and, and I really want to give all the credit to her. I, I think without her, Betty probably never would have come to Austin. But anyway, we are so grateful. And uh, it was just so much fun getting to know Marion Evans, her secretary. Marion, would you stand up? Because everybody's heard about you. many, many other people. Uh, it, it was even the, the operators of the telephone company began to know me. And President, <laughs> President Ford's office, I just knew all of them, and they are just wonderful. And then Lady Bird's three secretaries, I think I talk to them almost every day uh, from that time to this. Anyway, we are just so grateful to everything that made possible having Betty Ford with us. We all admire her so much, and uh, she is so human, and she has had so many of the problems that all of us have had. And, you know, the thing that is interesting to me is that years ago I had problems, but I didn't tell anybody. If they didn't accidentally find out about it, they didn't know, and I put on a happy face, and a lot of people in Austin never thought I ever had a problem. But Betty Ford had the courage to talk about her. And the press loved it. And all of us loved it. <laughs> she is so human and so lovable and so precious. And the fact that she didn't get to come in February made the difference between our being acquaintances and becoming friends. And for that, I am so grateful. And I am so grateful to all of you for coming. I'm just sorry. Everybody couldn't be here. But anyway, we love you and appreciate your support. And without further ado, I would like to introduce to you, and I'm not going to do it again. I know her last name. 
her name is Betty Bloomer Forward, and we love
speak of her and how much you enjoyed her talk. She's now um, no longer with the Navy. She's retired, and she's teaching a nurses course at the different universities, uh, a three-day course for um, alcoholism as far as nurses are concerned to learn about alcoholism and how to treat it. So she's very busy, and she sent her very best wishes uh, to you all. But it's you people that I feel that are the people that are able to do what needs to be done in the field. Such as I feel carrying the message is probably one of the most important things we can do. Because if we go out with an understanding of what alcoholism is, and are willing to talk about it and try and make others understand about it, make them realize, in many cases, uh, a difficult situation, that it is a disease and it's not just a lack of willpower, as so many people think, then we are teaching others and getting an education to the out into the field so that more people will be more comfortable, they'll feel less stigma as far as alcoholism is concerned, and thus more people will seek help and more people will become well. I'm glad that um, among those that are here today and at the reception, there were two of the, the ladies that were unable to be, a gentleman and a, a lady who were unable to be here before for the luncheon, and Cecil Cabanis, who has 31 years, he told me, in AA. And that's a tremendous record. And we're just delighted that he is... He probably has, I'm told he's probably contributed more to the program here in Austin than anyone else. And who knows, because it travels all over, whatever you contribute, probably contributed more to maybe the West or even the whole country. So congratulations to you. We're glad you're back, Phil. And also congratulations for Leroy Gann, who is also a volunteer and she was unable to be here, and I had a visit with her. So everybody know they're well, and they're back, and cheers for her. Okay. I'm going to tell you a little bit about what I'm doing today. I know Pat delivered, Pat Benedict delivered my remarks last time. And uh, so I thought perhaps before we open it to questions and answers, I would be trying to explain what I'm up to, so to speak, other than uh, trying to stay sober a day at a time. But, but uh, we are in the process of starting to fund a new treatment center, which will be in connection with the Eisenhower Medical Center in Rancho Mirage there near Palm Springs. Um, I am heading it up with Leonard Firestone, the fundraising project, and we're making our plans for construction. And this treatment center will be 
um, somewhat similar to the one at Hazelton up in Minnesota. Perhaps there are some of you who are aware of that arrangement at Hazelton in Minnesota. We will have separate buildings from the hospital. There will be a cluster of buildings with maybe 20 beds to each individual unit and hopefully six of those units when we complete so that it would be a 120 um, bed treatment center. Um, it is for not only treatment, but it's for treatment and more importantly for education and also what we hope will be prevention. I feel that in order to make progress toward prevention, which is our ultimate aim, we need to educate the family, the public, and there are many doctors who as yet, doctors, nurses, counselors, clergymen, even administrators for other treatment centers. There's just so much to be learned. And I repeat what Dr. Persh says about the 4-2-1 syndrome. And it always seems worth telling to me because in medical school, there are only four years of, in the four years of medical school, there are only two hours spent on training for alcoholism when it is the number one public problem and disease. And this is something that has to be corrected. So we hope with not only treating patients, we will be educating. And in educating, we will be able to have doctors recognize alcoholism, learn how to treat it, and in turn be willing to diagnose it, which in many cases they are not. Also um, in the treatment center, we hope to have an intervention type of program. And um, someone spoke to me today and said that the intervention program had increased considerably since my book had come out with the last chapter on Long Beach because I wrote about the family and intervention in, a, in my book. Um, intervention was used on me and I felt it was important to explain it as best I could when I wrote about Long Beach so that other people would perhaps seek out help through that means. We'd love to have intervention on wheels, but that would be quite a dream come true so that we could go into the home with a, with a team and help the family with an intervention or confrontation. Um, as I said, the education part is going to be directed, of course, to the medical profession and the clergy and also the administrators who have to do. And the prevention, which I heard, of, well, I have to 
go back because I heard a lecture on prevention. A man came in and he was to speak at our awareness hour, which has been a very successful thing the last four years at Eisenhower. And he said, I'm supposed to speak on alcoholism, but I'm not interested in that bores me. I want to speak on prevention. And ever since then, I guess it sort of stimulated my interest to um, a very high degree. And I think that I have considered that the ultimate goal that I would like to work for. And I realized that with the patient treatment and with the education of the public through awareness and the education of the medical profession and so on, perhaps we will then get to a prevention. The more the public knows, the more the people surrounding, whether they're in the family or relatives or people they're working for, whatever the relationship is, the more they know, the more we're going to have early detection. And with early detection, it's just such a boom for alcoholism. Instead of having to become so badly um, destroyed by the disease, that early detection, and I think prevention will bring that to a great extent. And I feel strongly that in the uh, schools with the young people we have today, the teenagers, it shocks me to think that they say that they have turned shocks me to think they were on drugs, but now they've turned to something called alcohol, which is cheaper and easier to get. And this is so sad for our young people. And they need to be educated. So we need to train counselors to go into the school and explain to them what it's all about. I um, appreciate being here today. I'm not going to talk long because I have agreed to answer some questions. And when you agree to answer questions, you really put your life on the line, believe me. I've done it twice already today, and I, I don't know whether I have any answers left, but I'll be delighted to. And this is Mr. Donahue, who is going, would you like to say a few words? <laughs> I, guess. I don't know what I could follow after what you said. Yeah. Uh, Mrs. Ford has indicated that she wanted the opportunity to be able to interact with the people in Austin, Texas. And the way that we have devised and set up today for that to happen, I'm sure you observe that there are microphones in the aisle. I'd like to ask that if you have a question, and I surely hope you have questions for Mrs. Ford, that you would approach the microphone and in doing so, simply introduce yourself and be as comfortable as you can and just ask a question. Mrs. Ford, and she will be glad to respond to it. Now, who's going to be first? <laughs> Thank you for the lights. He's almost as good as Phil Donahue, isn't he? <laughs> and I did Phil Donahue one time. <laughs> Would you, would you tell us your name, please? Oh, I'm sorry, I can't. The question you're asking is, in training of medical doctors, do you think they will have the patience necessary to spend? Yeah. 
I think you're referring to the counselors who, in most cases, have actually had experience with alcohol on a personal basis. And having been through that period, usually it's two or three years later, then they counsel uh, patients that need help. Uh, yes, I think this is possible. Perhaps not for treatment, but the most important thing, to teach them to be willing to recognize it with their everyday patients. I think doctors turn, turn away many patients because they really do not want to tell their patient they know that that patient has a problem. And they will avoid in every way facing it themselves that it is an alcoholic problem. They'll put them in the hospital for a respiratory problem or something else and get them to the point where they can go home. And But it's like, if you're probably familiar with it, it's sort of that um, unending system. They go home for a while and then they're back in the hospital again and they go out again and they're back in the hospital. So they would recommend a treatment center to the patient. I do not mean that they would be actually treating them. It's education for the doctor. Does that answer your question? The gentleman, the gentleman at the microphone, would you tell us your name, please? Uh, yes, I'm Reuben Stafford, and I'm an alcoholic. And uh, Mrs. Ford mentioned you know, an intervention program. We're trying, trying to get an intervention program off the ground. Uh, she mentioned also, you know, the fact that she herself was a subjective intervention. There's some questions in, in my mind as to uh, just how effective this intervention can be, and that generally, I'm wondering if you if you're, this intervention program is directed primarily at the family or at the the person that may have the drinking problem. Uh, uh, it's my as the way I feel, uh, if they're intervening in a at the crisis situation where a person is, is uh, drunk or incapacitated, you're asking a rational or an irrational person to make a rational decision. Uh, and I'm wondering just how much opposition that the, uh, the person that really needs to help most. Uh, is your question how effective can an intervention be and in under what circumstances? Yes, that's correct. Um, first of all, I want to to understand that in, an intervention is not a 12-step call, which uh, in my mind you're more, more or less referring to if somebody is incapacitated. And I think of that as more of a 12-step call for one alcoholic to another alcoholic. Um, intervention is a method of the family. The family is actually coached by a counselor or um, a doctor, whoever, somebody that knows how, exactly how to face the problem with individual, actually each member of the family speaks to, they meet with the alcoholic at a time when they can all face that member together. And it is done with a great deal of love and caring. It is done not to point out the fact that they are 
you know, disgusting or anything like that. It is done when the when the alcoholic is sober, not when they are drinking. That's fine. That answers my question. Thank you very much. I'm glad you're here. I'd like to put a plug in. If you're interested in knowing more about intervention in Austin, let me recommend that you communicate with the Renaissance Program at Shoal Creek Hospital. They have an excellent yeah, intervention sure. program here in Austin. Yes, ma'am. Your question, please. Uh, so I'm Libby Slaughter, and I'm one of the two hatters, and I work in the field of alcoholism. And I would like to know what you think about in the future or what you see in the future of uh, consistent treatment over the nation for alcoholism and in legislation processes. Uh, of course, I don't need to remind everyone of the inflation thing and the money. And since by your own admission that this is the number one health problem in the nation, and I certainly agree with you, I wonder, do you see anything that's going to come from the congressmen and the senators and the people who run our country about the funds? Uh, you know, I'm talking about overall treatment through the nation. So what you're asking legislation. Is, what's the future hold for the disease of alcoholism yes. from a legislative point of view? Right. So. I think that probably um, in the future, and you're speaking in the future, the federal government will have to address it. There have been grants, you know, already from HEW. We haven't been as happy with the grants that have been made. I'm new to this. I'm not on the National Council. Um, I have not gotten into any of the legislative bills, and I really can't advise you. I do know that we are working independently because this particular center that I'm referring to in uh, California, in Osmore Medical Center, uh, Friday I'll be in Sacramento meeting with two of the heads of committees to see how the legislature will recognize third-party payment for our center because it was not an acute center. The acute detox will be done in the hospital. We are merely a treatment center, and if you're aware of it, the third-party payees, uh, such as insurance, will pay for acute treatment, acute mm -hmm. treatment which is much more expensive than the treatment we're referring to. We hope to, instead of have it cost um, whatever hospital, then heaven knows that's very high today and going up um, for 28 days, we would hope that only the detox would be done in the hospital and then the treatment center would be maybe a, somewhere around $100 a day, which uh, the insurance would pay for. At this point, they will not pay for that and we're trying to make a case test that uh, perhaps will lead the way for other treatment centers. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you for your question. Yes, my name is Rich, and I'm definitely an alcoholic. Uh, Mrs. Ford, this may be uh, too personal, but if it is, don't answer. Uh, uh, does the president uh, have alcohol in your home? And if he does, and I'm sure you do a lot of entertaining, how do you handle that with the drink? Does it bother you with the drinking going on in your home if it does? Well, I'll be glad to answer it. Very easily, I drink. I drink uh, Perrier, I drink uh, ginger ale, and it doesn't make a bit of difference. 
Um, no, we have alcohol in our home. We have never removed it um, from the home. We serve it, and I didn't mean to be facetious, but people sometimes ask me, well, what do you do now that you can't drink? And I say, <laughs> I just say, oh, I drink. <laughs> and they look very shocked. And, but I do, I, get, I must say, you know, I think alcoholics sometimes are very sensitive about that because we drink, we drink milk and coffee and tea and everything. <laughs> Drinking is not alcohol. Alcoholism is a different thing. Yes, we do. We have never stopped serving it. And um, I'm very fortunate. It doesn't bother me a bit. I'm one of the lucky ones that uh, once the doctors told me that I didn't need it and I shouldn't drink it and it was harmful to me and it was doing a lot of damage, I guess I used my head and said, no way will I touch it. And that was sort of the end. So I'm lucky. I hear about others that have a problem, but I don't think. Ma'am, one other, other thing I'd like to throw in. When I woke up this morning, I was thinking about you and, and uh, Mrs. Johnson, and I was very disappointed with the weather because I wanted it to be just a perfect day here for you, and I gave a little prayer, and I think when I pray, things happen. The sun Thank you for the question and, of course, for the prayer. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Ford. I'm Doris Tyler, and I'm an Al-Anon. Uh, I would like to know if uh, when these, this treatment facility is finished, will part of the treatment program be directed towards the families, or will it be entirely for the alcoholic? Oh, by all means. I'm sorry I didn't make that explicit, obviously. I had a few notes down here, and that was all. It was quite obvious. I missed that uh, point because it, um, in most of our treatment, and we already have an outpatient program, it is mandatory for the family to participate. I really don't feel that the alcoholic can recover without the family understanding and family sometimes are sick is sicker than the alcoholic, particularly a spouse. <laughs> They've been defending them and covering up for them for so long that they really don't know how to handle it when they have to turn around and say, I'm going to live my own life and your problems are not my problems. And it's very hard to teach something, particularly a spouse. Thank you very much. <coughs> Miss Lord, I'm uh, I'm Jack Tyler. I'm the other half of that one. Was just up here, and you're right. She was sicker than I was. <laughs> I tried to get our oldest daughter one time to help me get Mama some help. She was sick. <laughs> I have a question that, if I don't put it right, which I probably won't, it could have political connotations, but I don't mean it that way. The uh, Carter administration has proposed a balanced budget within which some of the monies to health services will not be provided, and alcoholism would be one of them. That being the main one that we're interested in, 
the monies coming to the states, known as federal formula grant monies, would be that which would be cut off. But the monies for direct projects coming direct out of NIAAA or HEW to the states would be increased. A solution for that and still allow them to balance their budget without not without increasing the money would be to half that, allowing an IAAA to have the half for direct projects and the other half go to the states for the federal former grants. The question is have you or President Ford been aware of this, and if so, what position would you take? Uh, I think I understand the question. <laughs> uh, first of all, I haven't taken a position, and I don't feel that I'm well enough informed to take a position. I'm aware that NIHHH is getting more money than, as you say. Um, I would hope that both of them would get more money, and that would be what would be my recommendation. Uh, whether that's possible or not, I don't know. We were, I believe there was some money that was promised uh, back about a year or two ago by HEW, and I think that, due to balancing the budget, we missed out on. And um, my husband is very supportive as far as legislature in this field. Um, just recently, we both wrote to President Carter about how desirable we thought it would be to have Senator Hart, uh, Harold Hughes head up a commission that they are considering. And we thought he would be the man that would know and understand having been through it himself and uh, he would be a good spokesman for the committee, which will be made up of congressional members and I believe um, some, I know it's, in, I, know, I think it's a House committee, it's not in the Senate, but it's a House committee. So uh, the more we are informed about it, the more we can do. Um, I haven't had much time to study on it. As I say, I'm, I'm not really technically equipped. Thank you, Mr. Ford. We're glad to have you with us. Thank you, Jack. Yes, ma'am. Betty, I'm Audrey Thomas from San Antonio. And I couldn't help but just admire, of course, you ever since all this has happened. Uh, and I don't mean to get too personal, but I know what a, uh, I'm an alcoholic, and I know what a, a terrible thing it was for me to have to admit that I was an alcoholic. Anything else but not an alcoholic. Being uh, just about the next step you can get from the top person in the whole United States and being in public life, it must have taken the guts of a Texas mule <laughs> to admit this and do what you're doing. Right? Is that your, is that your question? <laughs> yes, that's my question. If she has the guts of a Texas mule. Is that your question? Really, my question was, was I can imagine how hard it was for me. It must have been 5,000 times harder for her being in the public like she was. Nobody knew me, but my people in Central Texas. And uh, it must have been 
a tremendous thing for you to have done this and to make this take everything you had. Much courage. How difficult was it to? Yeah. Well, how long did it take you to do it, for heaven's sake? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, it did take the guts of a Texas mule. There's no question about that. Um, I think I can best explain it by, and this is what we hope to get across to people, is the support of my family and the fact that all my children were there and my husband they all flew home and they the fact that they made the effort and the fact that they cared enough to want me to get well made me realize how much they loved me and when we all met together in the living room that day with the help of some doctors who had coached them, um, I felt a tremendous amount of love. And this is what I think it's all about. We had always been a closely knit family. And I knew that um, they cared. And consequently, knowing how much they cared, I wanted to get well. And you say, well, you could have gone to some private place where nobody would have known about it. And that was my decision. I decided that we were public people, and if this was a problem with me, then the best thing to do was to be honest about it and not try and say, well, she's got a you know, bad case of hives or something, and she's gone off for... So it was my decision, along with the family, they agreed, and uh, I wanted to go to what I thought was the best place and when I knew I had a problem, actually I wanted, I was quite anxious to face up to it and take care of it as quickly as I could and get on with my life because I didn't have time to be messed up that way. So it was, it did, it took guts on my family's part too. I think they were the gutsy people. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for that question. Um, I am traveling and I am uh, speaking to different groups and raising money. We have a committee that is in the process of raising money. We are approaching foundations. We are approaching individuals. We have found, and it's interesting to me, that the people that are most interested in helping are the people who have had some experience with alcoholism in their family. Either they themselves have been through the experience or someone in their family. And so it makes it a very limited group that we find that are willing to give. But uh, we're about halfway there and uh, we expect to make it by next year. Thank you. Your question, please. Um, I'm on the uh, board of the Austin Council, 
and I'm concerned about treatment facilities for women and wonder what your experience has been with that. I think in Texas there are less than 25 spaces available for women alcoholics who need to bring their children with them. And I think in the state there's probably less than 100 spaces available. Can you comment on that? What you're asking is a comment in regards to treatment placements that are available for for women and particularly for women with children. With children. I think that the women alcoholic has been ignored to a large degree mm-hmm. and and a woman alcoholic with young children who needs to have them with her during her treatment process is really out in the cold. And you want uh, to know what Mrs. Ford's feelings are yeah, about that issue? Or treatment what plans she has in her treatment center for those okay. kinds of things. I guess kind of what, what kind of provisions are you making in this new facility you're talking about for women that's, and children? That's a very good point. We had such a treatment center in um, Palm Springs, and unfortunately, um, I was not uh, riveted in any way, but I heard about it, um, and it folded because the women couldn't pay, and of course that's the big thing, and this is what we're going to Sacramento about, is to try and make this transition from acute care to treatment. I think you're speaking more of like a halfway house. I spoke at a halfway house in California in, in um, last, not too long ago, last fall, I guess it was. Uh, one of the first talks I made, my daughter went with me, and that was quite an eye-opener for the news. Somebody said, I made news. <laughs> we really made news that night on every channel, a mother and her daughter talking on alcoholism. But it was a, uh, to raise funds for a halfway house. And I agree with you, there are very few treatments in just for women, if you mean that. There are many centers, but to get children in, is, that's another problem. I think it should be addressed, and I understand right here in Austin it is being addressed with a center that will soon be open, and perhaps there's somebody here who can speak on that. Well, I think when I... It is a marvelous step, and I hope that it will lead the way for more. Because when I spoke, I was amazed to find out for strictly women, I believe there were only 70 in the country compared to the thousands there are for men. So we do need them, and to speak to address the problem is an excellent idea, and I wish you luck with this one. The facility you mentioned is Austin Family House, and I was told today that it's going to open Monday? June 1st. I think June 1st is when it's going to be, be open. Yes, ma'am, your question. Uh, Betty, my name is Pat Fisk, and I'm a grateful alumni. Um, I agree with you that uh, very often the rest of the family is, is sick, if not sicker, than the, the alcoholic. And I've really been working on this alumni, but I'd like to say that um, what our rich book loved it. <laughs> Give you a little plug here. I'd love for you to autograph it if you don't have time. One of the things that um, uh, in your treatment, you had a drug problem as well as, as alcoholism. I believe it was uh, a prescription drugs, if I'm not. Um, this, you had help 
in uh, being taken off these prescription drugs. Um, my concern is um, uh, my husband went to AA, but his he's still being kept on prescription medication, prescription drugs, and um, I I'm concerned about this, and I'm trying to you know know have the wisdom to know the difference in what I can change and what I can't change. But this is something that's of concern to me, and I'd like for you to address that if you would. So what you're asking about has to do with the combination of alcohol and drugs and what kind of things are possible once you get abstained from the alcohol to then look at abstaining from the drugs. Is that what you're asking? Right. When a medical doctor is prescribing the drug to the, to the person. Tough. <laughs> Real tough. Well... There is that problem, and I think this is why doctors need to be educated in the field of alcoholism because too often they use drugs for withdrawal when it isn't necessary, and the patient gets addicted to the drug, and then you have a, another complication. Um, I feel that, and I have advised people who have written, I get a lot of mail such as this, what do I do? My doctor says I have to take thus and so and I need it and uh, I generally think the patient probably wants to take it in the first place and they probably want the doctor to tell them they have to take it but I suggest they have a talk with the doctor and if he will not review the case and explain to them then they find a discuss it with another doctor and in many cases you have to change doctors and this in some cases is the reason doctors don't want to deal with alcoholism because they're afraid that their patient will leave them if they actually say I think you don't have um, a problem with your heart or a problem with your lungs you really have a problem with alcoholism and the patient doesn't want to hear that and so they're afraid they'll go to somebody else. But I think if you're trying to do something, you're going to have to deal with the doctor himself. Oh, I thought we exhausted the audience. Uh, yes, ma'am. Well, I would really like to have your autograph, Mrs. Ford. I have a 16-year-old son who knew I was coming here today, and he gets autographs of world-class runners, and I said, well, I'm going to go hear Mrs. Ford and meet her today, and he said, yeah, Mom, tell me another one. So if I don't go home with an autograph, I don't know if he'll believe me. <laughs> Mrs. Ford has a, a schedule she must keep to, but she has said she will, will try to do some. Okay? Thank you. Are there any other questions? Yes. I'm Joyce Beatty, and I'm beginning to be a grateful alcoholic. And I just, I'd kind of like to know if your husband goes to Al-Anon, and if he realized that you had a medical problem, and that he, re did he realize right away that alcoholism is an illness? You're kind of asking what was the perception of Mr. Forbes as it relates to the problem of alcoholism, right? Um, I'm glad you are getting to be a grateful alcoholic because there's nothing greater than a grateful alcoholic. I thought that was a pretty funny thing or strange thing at first, but I too have found that it, it is great. Um, when you ask about him, he also went 
for treatments such as Al-Anon treat, family treatment, and spent, uh, I would say, at least five or six days off and on at the same facility that I went to. So he learned through others what it was all about. He, my treatment was predicated on the family participation. And I think most treatment should be. I very seldom do I think that it should be done. Uh, certainly there's no guarantee unless you have the family cooperation. That's all the time we have for questions. Ms. Ford, I want to thank you for your candidness on behalf of the audience and as well as myself personally to have the opportunity to visit with you and the Austin Council on Alcoholism thanks you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you all very much. Appreciate it. Before you depart, I would I would like to call Garland Shearer to the stage to make a small presentation to you. Mrs. Ford, in February, as you know, you sent a marvelous emissary in Pat Benedict. Uh, we were charmed by Pat, and the message that you sent was both moving and heartwarming and encouraging. Um, for that, we thank you. But there will never be, in the hearts of Austin, anybody closer to us than Betty Ford. We so appreciate your coming. We admire your courage, and therefore would like to give you this very, very small token, but nonetheless heartfelt. Uh, incidentally, the bow was a little smashed because I had it hidden in the recesses of the closet <laughs> so my two-year-old couldn't get it <laughs> for three months. Thank you. How nice. Thank you. Thank you so much. I want to open this while you're all right here. Please don't go away for a minute so I can thank you personally all. While Mrs. Ford is opening the present, I forgot to introduce the man who makes it all happen at the Austin Council Life Executive Director, Jim Hill. I'm going to break a finger hill, I know. Thank you. I knew there was something women couldn't do. Open packages. Huh? Me. Take me away from Thank you. Oh, isn't this pretty? Another little surprise, the baby. Oh, this is lovely. Just beautiful and just beautiful. Little pendants. With a butterfly. <laughs> And one last comment from John Hayes. John? Thank you. I'm John Hayes, an alcoholic, and I'd like to, on behalf of the Suburban AA Group and the Suburban Alcoholic Foundation, present our lovely member here, Betty Ford, her medallion for two years of sobriety. Thank you.
our friends from the Secret Service have asked, would you keep your seat while Mrs. Ford leaves, please? Be just a moment. 